0: journey with medieval art and embroidery with a special focus on the Bayeux tapestry. But this will be the last Bayeux-inspired episode. It is, sadly, time to move on. This episode will end that exceptional journey with inspired satire, as well as its marketing appeal, uniquely reinforcing the Bayeux tapestry's long-lasting appeal. I'm fascinated by how modern cartoonists have adapted this medieval format, using symbols and figures easily recognisable and understood by their viewers. Things such as a cigar puffing, helmeted Churchill holding sword and shield, walking on the Normandy beach at the time of the invasion, battle blazing in the background with both borders, including further messages supporting the central frieze, just as the tapestry's medieval designer did all those centuries ago. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari Podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight, we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. So let's take a look at just a few, beginning with John Hassel's 1915 Ye Berlin Tapestry cartoon. Hassel was an English illustrator known for his advertisements and poster designs. His 1910 design for the Kodak Girl, dressed in an iconic blue striped dress, became a feature of Kodak's advertising right up until the 1970s. Ye Berlin tapestry was his light-hearted reaction to Kaiser Wilhelm's invasion of Belgium in 1914, parodying the 11th century Bayeux tapestry representing its own political invasion. 30 cartoon panels poke fun at the invaders, narrating the progress of the Germans using mock archaic language. He caricatures the Germans, their food and wine, and with comic inventiveness adapts the top and bottom borders to illustrate stereotypical objects the English associated with their enemy. Carola Hicks, writing in her book, The Bayeux Tapestry, The Life Story of a Masterpiece, writes this, It's powerful, funny and sinister. Ye Berlin tapestry would have been unimaginable without the original. Yet, it is also a tour de force in its own right. It was produced as a concertina fold-out book. So it's not surprising then that in the wake of World War II and the D-Day landings, that cartoonists quickly related these events with the tapestry and political and military personalities of the time, and boy, weren't there a few. Hitler, Churchill, Montgomery and Eisenhower were fair game for these smart representations, some appearing just days after the D-Day landings. The Daily Mail published Leslie Illingworth's panoramic scroll on June 9, The New Zealand Herald published Gordon Manhinnick's on June 14 and the New Yorker magazine cover appeared much later on July 15, 1948. The tapestry fascinated left-wing cartoonist Victor Vicky Weiss, a refugee from Hitler's Germany who emigrated to Britain in 1935. He returned to it repeatedly during the 1950s and 60s using clever analogies such as the Dachshund and Poodle as representations for Germany and France and the Sputnik instead of a comet. A visit to Russia in 1959 by the then English Prime Minister featured bears, ballet dancers and nuclear weapons. But the tapestry wasn't only used for political mileage by these witty cartoonists. It was often cited in reference to economic battles between Britain and Europe from the 1970s onwards. Nicholas Garland roped in Harold Wilson, James Callaghan, Margaret Thatcher and Giscard d'Estaing. In one cartoon, a sinking pound sign and a fish symbolised the 1976 Cod War between the UK and Iceland. But he also celebrated Anglo-French rapport in 1984 when President Mitterrand agreed to Margaret Thatcher's demand for a budget rebate. Both are depicted wearing chainmail. Maggie has been winged in the heart by an arrow-shooting Cupid located in the lower border, with the adjacent cartoon housing a romantic bottle of champagne along with two glasses. Very French. And demonstrating the tapestry's unimaginable versatility is the era of modern-day marketing and advertising. This rich source of promotional inspiration from buildings, ships, trees, people, armour and animals has been used to sell and sell it does. So from selling the political story of William and Harold, the tapestry has been used to sell myriad products from as early as the 1920s but it's the 1960s that really saw the tapestry come into its own as an advertising icon. Carola Hicks' book, The Bayo Tapestry, The Life Story of a Masterpiece, states this, Although some were witty and relevant, the overall impression was deeply confusing as William, Harold and Edward urged people to drink beer, watch television, take photographs take out a mortgage, eat bread, or even bananas. Brand names such as Kodak, Hovis and Horlicks have associated their products with the Bayer tapestry and in the 1980s, Northern Telecom related their interlaced digital networks of fibre optic cables with the embroidery using a montage of drawn-out threads from the tapestry, cleverly turning them into bundles of wires. Others, such as the Bayer Group, spelt B-A-Y-E-R, used a three-metre pull-out of the Bayer tapestry to celebrate their 125th anniversary in 1988. Buzz Airlines used the tapestry to promote its flights between Cayenne and Stansted in 2002 and And History Today used an illustration of an axe-wielding Saxon in their pamphlets, urging people to take out a subscription to save them an arm and a leg. Fabric firm Arthur Sanderson & Co. designed a print in 1922 using images of Harold, William and Edward, the comet and buildings, which remained popular in their range until the 1980s. And in 2002, the Sussex group of Harley-Davidson used a mail clad tapestry warrior riding a motorbike as their logo. Limoges, Wedgwood and Royal Dalton have all used tapestry motives on their wares, while cider and cheese, traditional Norman products, carry battle of Hastings scenes on their packaging. Stamps, medallions, scarves, spoons, towels, mugs and plates, not to mention embroidery kits, thimbles and stationery products, are to be found in Bayeux and historical outlets in Britain. So the tapestry's adaptability, versatility and relevance in the modern world is without question. But it's the witty and intelligent devices drawn upon to express those ideas I find so interesting. And I suspect the Bayeux tapestry will long continue to offer creatives from all genres – the format to capture and in- express an idea, scoff at politics, comment on economics, parody those ever-present scandals, or sell even more products. But let's just remember, this embroidery was originally seen by people, most of whom could not read, but who understood graphic communication. Seen by people most of whom could not write Roman numerals, but who could nonetheless add, subtract and measure. In other words, they were educated to live in their times, not ours. Recreations of the tapestries abound. Elizabeth Wardle was the first in a long line to recreate the uh, original Some have adopted different formats, techniques and media to tell different histories, whether by professionals, amateurs, individuals or community-based groups. A sequel was commissioned from the Royal School of Needlework to celebrate the 1966 anniversary celebrations, not as a replica, but as a sequel starting with the end of the battle and with William's coronation, drawing on great moments in history from sources such as the Doomsday Book, the Magna Carta, the Spanish Armada, the Industrial Revolution, the Battles of Waterloo and Trafalgar, culminating with Churchill making the victory sign to the D-Day invasion fleet. The Overlord Embroidery was directly inspired by the Bayeux Tapestry and hangs in the D-Day Museum at Portsmouth. And finally, in 1997, well-known English embroiderer Jan mercent created her version of the finale the missing end section of the tapestry, using the most authentic materials possible, designing scenes depicting the English submission at Berkhamstead, followed by William's coronation in Westminster Abbey. This medieval embroidery has inspired the likes of William Morris, John Ruskin, Alfred Lord Tennyson and Mary Ann Evans writing under the name George Eliot. Charles Dickens, however, was unimpressed. And I suggest to anyone as absorbed by the Bayeux Tapestry as I am to continue to read and research as new scholarship is offering a greater variety of insights and opinions. I'm currently reading Decoding the Bayeux Tapestry: The Secrets of History's Most Famous Embroidery Hidden in Plain Sight by Arthur C. Wright, published by Frontline Books in 2019, which deals with an area of the tapestry which is often ignored or dismissed, the details in the borders and how they aid in the reading of the story as a whole. As a trained military historian, Arthur C Wright offers respect and understanding to the view of both William and Harold as commanders, each with their own special qualities deserving acknowledgement. What is the point of another book, On the Bayeux Tapestry, asks a colleague. Arthur C Wright's profound response was progress. I feel as though I'm saying goodbye to a dear friend. A feeling shared by a number of people, demonstrated by the 400,000 odd visitors to Bayeux to view the tapestry each year. Thank you again for your time with this exposition into what must be termed the most important embroidery in history. But I'm moving on. I thought I'd explore the Dupont of the Black Prince in my next episode as an introduction into the amazing world of Opus Anglicanum. What beautiful embroidery was carried out in medieval times. Remember, you can follow uh, Stitch Safari on Facebook or Instagram. Till my next episode, bye for now.